All right, good morning once again. It's great to see you here at Hope and Anchor Church. It's good to be back. Um, had the had the privilege of being able to travel with my family the last week and a half. Went to Colorado and Utah and Kansas. You can't get there without Kansas in the way. Um, and then, uh, you know, before that, got to go to England with Christy. And that's been just, uh, June's been really great, been really restorative. And uh, I just want to encourage you guys, when possible, Make time to get away and to go places with your family, even if it's somewhere local. Uh, that just really builds memories with the kids that I think can't be substituted by other stuff. Uh, we live in a pretty awesome world, and there's a lot of great places out there. And uh, we all grow when we uh, get out of our little you know, insular bubble and start to go other places. Uh, sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's expensive, sometimes it can be frustrating. Um, I mean, if you've ever taken your kids to Disney World, you know, it presents challenges. But, um, and I'm not recommending Disney World. That's, there's better places to go. But uh, anyway, I digress. I just want to say this, normalize taking vacation with your family. <laughs> anyway, but it's good to be back. Uh, I think there is a risk here. Aaron Davis covered the last three weeks and kind of got you habituated to 15-minute sermons. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm afraid you're heading towards some disappointment. I'm going to go longer than 15 minutes anyway. So uh, we are returning to our Imprint 2022 series, our study, our learning adventure in the classical Christian spiritual disciplines. And this week we are turning our attention to generally scripture study and meditation, but more specifically scripture meditation. How do we become a student of scripture that knows how to meditate, to chew on, to ruminate on scripture and thus hide it in our heart so that we might live a life that is more and more pleasing to God and more and more resembling of Jesus. So as we get started, uh, what adjectives and I want feedback on this, okay? What adjectives would you use to describe your faith in Jesus? Does so everyone know what an adjective is? It's been a while, I know, for some, but a descriptive word. What adjectives come to mind when I ask, tell me about your faith in Jesus? What words come to mind? Everlasting. Everlasting. Strong. Someone say strong. Yeah. Okay. What else? A gift, is that an adjective? Gift-like. <laughs> gift -like. Giftly. It's a giftly. Okay. <laughs> if pressed, we would all describe our life with Jesus, our faith in Jesus, in a certain way. One of my favorite authors named Annie Dillard, which if you've been at Hope and Anchor Church for more than like a month, you've heard me talk about Annie Dillard probably, but she's one of my favorite authors. She once remarked, Sometimes I ride a bucking faith. A bucking faith while one hand grips and the other flails the air. And like any daredevil, I gouge with my heels for blood, for a wilder ride, for more. She says, sometimes I ride a bucking faith. I noticed nobody here suggested bucking. My faith in Jesus is wild and bucking. Like I'm hanging on for dear life, yet all the while gouging for more. I want a daredevil faith. That sounds incredible to me. I would love it to honestly be able to say, my faith in Jesus is wild, it's bucking, I'm gouging for blood. I want it. it's, a, it's just a daredevil experience. That sounds incredible. However, is that how you would describe your faith? 
How many days could I honestly describe my faith in Jesus that way as a bucking faith, as a wild ride? Does the life in Christ, does it have you holding on tight like a bucking bronco rider holding on for eight seconds? Or has your experience been something less exciting? I mean, let's be honest. We're in a safe spot here. Let's be honest. Has your experience been somewhat less exciting? Does your daily interaction with Scripture, does it fuel a daredevil kind of faith? Or does your faith meander around on a slow pony of half-hearted devotion? Guilty. I'm guilty of that sometimes. Sometimes I'm more on a I'm on that little broken pony at the fair walking around in a circle sometimes. That's my faith. I can grip all I want, but it's not going that fast, right? Uh, sometimes it feels like I'm on the slow pony of half-hearted devotion. Now I think we all we long for adventure. We long for adventure. We all desire the deeper experiences of the life with Christ. We want to thrive. We want to discover. We would like just for once to find ourselves hanging on for dear life. But we far too often find ourselves with nothing but frustration. We feel like we might be missing out on something. Um, we feel frustrated. We get a little bit bored. And we might just be going through the motions of our faith. Am I right? I mean, how many years spent following Jesus do you feel like you've just been kind of faking it, hoping that someday you'll make it? It's just kind of going through the motions. This is what I do. That's what Christians do. We just do these things. And it's just kind of rote. It's just kind of routine. What causes this? At root, what is the cause of this experience? What is, why is this happening to so many of us? Why is it that I can give such a brief explanation of that kind of meandering slow pony of the faith and most of you kind of look at me knowingly like, yep, been there. I've been there. Why is it? Why is this happening to so many of us? Is it that Jesus himself overpromised? Did Jesus overpromise when he talked about the abundant life? Is Jesus, did he overpromise and now he's struggling to deliver? It's like, well, I said that, but we got supply issues. You see, we got this global supply chain and pandemic and Joe Biden. Yeah, I mean, whatever. You know, we got all kinds of excuses. No, did he overpromise and now he's struggling to deliver? Is it that we aren't that we weren't given enough guidance? That we don't have uh, the know-how? That we don't have the instructions in the Bible on how to do Christianity properly? I mean, some of us have that lingering sense sometimes. It's like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Maybe I'm doing this wrong. Maybe I'm doing it poorly. Maybe I got some bad intel on how to live the life in Christ because what I see Jesus talking about, what I see people experiencing in the New Testament, looks a lot, feels a lot different than what I am experiencing. Here's the thing, and I think we could stack hands on this. It's not Jesus' fault on three. One, two, three. It's not Jesus' fault. I think Jesus is able to do infinitely more than we could ask or imagine, right, when it comes to the life and faith. I don't think it's Jesus' fault. I, even, I don't even think it's the Bible's fault. I don't think it's the Bible's fault. If I'm honest, I am convinced that, because I've lived with myself for a while, I'm convinced that the frustration and the lackluster experience, it comes from within me 
Me. There's something going on inside of me. If we are honest, we find that most of our frustration, most of that lackluster, slow pony experience comes from us. Just disconnection, missed opportunity, lack of discipline. It comes from inside of us. Most often, discontent and a lack of vitality in our spiritual lives, it stems from, at some point, unfamiliarity with and inattention to Scripture. Most people in America that say they are following Jesus spend little to no time on a daily basis or weekly basis actually with the Word. We just operate on assumptions on theoretical assumptions about what a Christian is and does, we never actually go to the source of how we know what it looks like, what it means to follow Jesus. We just are unfamiliar with or inattentive to Scripture. We are often half-hearted in our attentiveness and our obedience to God's revealed Word. Here we find what God wants for us. Here's what we, where we find what God desires for us and how we live in relationship with Him in areas such as sin, areas such as prayer, of faith, of the, of the gospel mandate, of our sinfulness, how we go out into the world to reveal and represent Jesus and His kingdom on mission. This is how we know. You can't just rely on me as your pastor. You can't rely on the person standing up here to just download that for you. At root, tomorrow, you have to be in the Word too. Tuesday, you got to be in the Word. To make matters worse, the enemy, Satan, is actively working to keep you from becoming a daredevil student of Scripture. Did you know this? It's not just you. The devil is coming alongside like, yeah, you got better things to do. You are really busy, you know, and it is hard to sit and read. I mean, who has time for that, really? I mean, the enemy is coming, doing whatever he can to prevent you from becoming a daredevil student of Scripture. The enemy is daily throwing up distractions, throwing up obstacles to keep us away from God's Word, throwing up obstacles to keep us away from dwelling with God. J.I. Packer famously said one time, If I were the devil, one of my first aims would be to stop folk from digging into the Bible, knowing that it is the Word of God, teaching men to know and love the Bible, uh, teaching men to know and love and serve the God of the Word, I should do all I could to surround it with the spiritual equivalents of pits, thorn hedges, and man traps. That's my favorite phrase of all. It's like, I would surround it with man traps. I would surround it with pits, thorn hedges, and man traps to frighten people off. At all costs, I should want to keep them from using their minds in a disciplined way to get to the measure of the Bible's message. I would do whatever I could. Put pits, hedges, man traps, whatever it takes to keep you from interacting with God through His Word. That's what I would do if I were the enemy. So, be aware, there's some good news here and bad news. Bad news, yes, it is you, but it's not just you. The enemy is coming alongside actively seeking your demise, actively fueling your distraction from time spent in the Word, time spent with God. But here's what we, if you remember from a few weeks ago, we know this. The life in Christ is about change and transformation. 
There's no neutral ground. Coming to Christ, it calls us forward, further up, further in. It's about change and transformation. It's on the move. It's a thing in motion, our faith. That life in Christ is about change and transformation. We desire to be changed. God desires to change us. And God has given us the Bible as a primary catalyst for that change. God has not given us marching orders and is like, all right, have fun storming the castle. He's told us how, what that looks like. He's given us the Bible as a primary catalyst for the change He desires in us. And no spiritual discipline is more foundational than Scripture study and meditation. This is where it begins. Nothing can substitute for it. Nothing can substitute for Scripture study and meditation. Not church attendance, not worship participation, not listening to podcasts, not listening to worship music, not even reading about the Bible. It's actually direct interface with Scripture. There is simply no healthy Christian life apart from a growing familiarity and direct interaction with Scripture. Why is this? Why is it so necessary for us to actually be students of the Word, to eat this Word directly? Well, here's just a quick list. In the Bible, God tells us about Himself and about Jesus. It's really popular these days to have, for people to have notions about God and how God is and what He's like and what His priorities are while dismissing Scripture. It's like, oh, but this is just a hateful, bigoted book. This is what really God is. God's bigger than that. He loves you, blah, 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 blah. Ignore the Bible and tell us what we really should think about God. And it's like, well, how do we know? How do we know about this God who has revealed Himself in Scripture? How do we know what Jesus wants for us if we don't have Scripture? Really, we have to look to Scripture to know about God. This is where God tells us about Himself and about Jesus. The, Jesus Himself is called the Word of God made flesh. In the Scriptures, God tells us His story, and in doing so, tells us our story. In Scripture we, is where we find exactly what God intends for us. Where else can we look except into the revealed Word of God and what Jesus brought to us as the Word made flesh? The, the Scriptures, the pages of Scripture, it proclaims the Gospel, the good news, and in doing so it reveals the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. In the pages of Scripture, we find revealed the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. To know God and to follow Jesus, to actually follow the real Jesus, we must know Scripture intimately. Intimately. What does it mean to know it intimately? Well, it means not secondhand, not thirdhand. It means firsthand, intimately. You've got to be intimate with God's revealed will in Scripture. The Bible, if it helps, view the Bible as a window. As a window. Is the point of a window to look at it? Do you look at the window? Do you go to a great place and be like, wow, I love these windows? No, you look through a window, right? A window helps frame our perspective. It frames our view and our understanding. The Bible is the window by which we most, most clearly see God. It's by the window by which we most clearly see His will, discover His will and His way. Simply put, if we are to know God and if we are to know Jesus, we must know Scripture. People will tell you all kinds of crazy, false, ignorant, uninformed, self-seeking things about God and about Jesus. 
But always go back to Scripture. What does Scripture say? Be a student of Scripture first. So why is Scripture study and Scripture meditation important? What is it? We've talked about why it's important, but what is it? Our working definition is this. Scripture study and meditation is giving Scripture our full, full attention and embracing its teachings. Giving Scripture our full attention and embracing its teachings. So giving it our full attention in study and then embracing its teachings through meditation. So study and meditation at a basic level are not the same thing. We talked about this a few weeks ago, the difference between study and meditation. While there is a great amount of overlap between the two disciplines, you'll find that while you're seeking to meditate, you're also studying, you're learning stuff. While you're learning stuff and studying, you're also meditating on things. There's a great amount of overlap between the two disciplines. There are unique aspects of each that we must understand. It's probably an oversimplification, but here it is. Generally, study is analytical, more about your head, and meditation is more devotional, centered more in the heart. Study seeks to understand and clarify and order God's Word in our lives, while meditation seeks to savor, to enjoy, and to live in the light of that Word. To actually live it out, to experience it. Study seeks comprehension and guidance by right thinking. We go to Scripture for it to shape our thinking, which becomes our orthodoxy. Does anyone know what orthodoxy means? Ortho, correct, doxy, belief. Dox is thinking. Meditation seeks to strengthen and comfort us for right living or our orthopraxis, our practice of living in the light of Christ. So our thinking, our doxis, and our praxis, our living. Study provides a framework within which meditation can thrive. Scripture study helps us be, avoid becoming empty-headed Christians. Did you hear that? Scripture study helps us avoid becoming empty-headed Christians. It helps us become more theologically aware, more familiar with God, His redemptive history, and His church, biblically and historically. What it means to be a, not an empty-headed Christian is not the ones just like driven by experiential uh, stuff, you know, worship services, things that make you feel a certain way. <coughs> Study helps us avoid becoming empty-headed Christians. Likewise, Scripture meditation helps us avoid becoming empty-hearted Christians. Empty-hearted Christians. It leads to hiding the Word in our hearts through things like memorization and expressing the Word in our lives through application and action. Surely you've met Christians that were pretty empty-hearted. Oh, they know a ton about the Bible. They know the church inside and out. But when it comes down to actually uh, giving from the overflow of their heart... The gospel has not transformed some part of them because they certainly are not a kind, loving, Christ-like person in their actions. Oh, but they know a ton, but something about their heart is empty. So, study and meditation prevents us, prevents us from being empty-headed and empty-hearted. So, last time we discussed the spiritual disciplines, we really intentionally studied Scripture study. We explored Scripture study. Today, we turn our attention to the spiritual discipline of Scripture meditation. So, let's begin by listening to the psalmist. Let's listen to the psalmist's wisdom in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the entire Bible. 
on your daily listening app, that's like the worst day because it's like, oh no, surely they're not going to do all of Psalm 119. And they do. They do. So pack a lunch. But anyway, Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. Here, the psalmist captures this union between meditation and action. Meditation and action. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 119, verses 6 through 17. Or not, I'm sorry, 9 through 15. What am I even saying? One, 9 through 16. 119, 9 through 16. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. Verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Now, I've asked Grady to pull this up in the New International Version. I just read it to you in the New Living Translation, but perhaps you're looking at the NIV or are more familiar with that translation. But go ahead and read verses 6 through whatever I said. So, nine, I'm sorry, nine, 9 through 16 for us. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees, and I will not neglect your words. Okay, if we look closely at this passage, we find an interplay, a union of meditation that leads to action. Meditation that leads to action. I draw your attention first to verse 11, where it says, I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? So I might not sin against you. So the meditation here is I've hidden your word in my heart. I've regularly gone to, undertaken to, to memorize, to hold in my heart your truth, your word. Why? The action. So that I might not sin against you. Okay, look at verses 13 and 14. Do you see it? I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. That's the meditation. The action then, the response, is I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. Because of this, I find this valuable, like riches. I rejoice in your laws as much as in riches. Do you see that? Okay, look at verses 15 and 16. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees. This is all the meditation, okay? I study your commandments, reflect on your ways, delight in your decrees, and then the action is what? I do not forget your word. I will not forget. I will not be careless with. I will remember and I will not forget your word because it has become a part of who I am. Because I have studied your commandments, because I reflected on your ways, because I even delight in your decrees, I do not forget your word. Now, meditation upon Scripture, it fuels memorization, and it helps shape our life in Christ. Meditation, it strengthens our fidelity, it strengthens our familiarity and our faithfulness to the Word, and it strengthens our defense against the enemy and his works. You want to defend against that wily serpent? 
that devil that wants to come and trip you up and throw man traps in front of you, the best way is, is to know the word. Hide it in your heart. How did Jesus resist temptation, the work of Satan in his life when he was tempted in the wilderness? Every single response Jesus gave to the tempter was what? Scripture. It was hidden in his heart. It was in the arsenal of his heart, and he was ready to deploy it when necessary. He knew God's word inside and out. So it strengthens our defense against the enemy and his works. The Word of God is called the sword of the Spirit for a reason. The sword of the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit cannot give you a weapon that is not in your spiritual armory. Okay, let me say that again. The Word of God is called the sword of the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit cannot give you a weapon that is not in your spiritual arsenal, your spiritual armory. Uh, Donald Whitney explains it this way. He characterizes it this way. Imagine yourself in the midst of a decision and needing guidance or struggling with a difficult temptation and needing victory. The Holy Spirit rushes to your mental arsenal, flings open the door, but all he finds is a John 3.16, a Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, and a Great Commission. These, those are great swords, but they are not made for every battle. I mean, you're facing temptation. I mean, a John 3.16 is great to know. A Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, excellent. Great Commission, perfect. But when you're under attack, you need better swords. You need the right sword for the right battle. We need the sword of the Spirit. We need the Word of God, and we need it hidden in our hearts. So I want to finish up by giving you just a basic game plan here. How can we this week start to develop this practice of meditation, of Scripture meditation? Here's a good starting point. How do we cultivate the spiritual discipline of Scripture meditation? Memorization and application. Memorization, application. How many here love scripture mem memorization? I don't love it. I'm not good at it, but I have to apply myself to it. And I feel like I'm remedial sometimes. I take small bits. <laughs> but even if you remember it in small bits, the Holy Spirit can use it. Memorization, application. Memorization, learning to listen with your heart. First thing I would suggest in, when it comes to memorization, have a plan. Okay, set aside time. Spend time every day in Scripture. Start with favorite verses or popular verses, and then move on to extended passages or unfamiliar passages. Look to the Psalms. Read the parables, the Proverbs. These are good starting points. Uh, maybe you're interested in a particular theme. Okay, themes like humility or faith or courage or prayer. Look to those things. Find Scriptures around those themes that you feel like, I need those in my heart. Memorize those. Secondly, write it out. Involve more than one sense, okay? Read it, hear it, write it out. Write out the verses, use a journal, use note cards, but involve all your senses. And then repetition, everyone's favorite word, repetition. Repetition. Place reminders around you strategically. Put a dot. I've had friends that put a dot, a little sticker dot on their watch, that every time they look at their watch, they see the dot and they recite the scripture they're trying to remember. Uh, they set an alarm on their phone. They put a stone in their pocket. Whenever they reach for their keys, they feel this little rock in their pocket like, oh, I remember my passage. I remember my word that I'm trying to hide in my heart. Every time you see it, every time you touch it or hear it, recite your verses. Memorize the verses word for word. Don't skimp. Push for completion. 
and then be held accountable. Last thing I'd say is uh, let someone know what you're doing and have them ask you about it. When someone sees you, it's like, hey, Kyle, what's that verse you've been memorizing? Say it for me. You know, and then I'd do the same for you. And that we kind of have that as part of our friendship. We check in on each other like, hey, what's, what verse are you working on this week? How's it going? Recite it. You know, you look for accountability. Don't do this in, a, uh, in isolation. Okay, so memorization. The second part is application. Memorization is listening with your heart. Application is listening with our lives, our very lives. So... Pray as you approach this selected passage of Scripture. Don't let it be just a collection of words. Expect that God can work through it. Read through it several times. Listen to it closely. Pay close attention with it. Sit with it. Dwell with it. Ask good questions of the Scriptures and ask good questions of yourself. What is God saying here? Don't just read the words on the page. Ask good questions like, what is it that God is saying here? What is God saying here? And how should I respond to it? How should I live in light of this passage? And then write down your observations. Write it down. You see how this is much more interactive? You've got a plan and you're actually coming away from your time spent with Scripture with stuff you can look at and hold on to and return to. Write down your observations. Seek to be sensitive to the implications of the Holy Spirit's guidance. Will the Holy Spirit guide you? Yes. Will it be the same every day? No. But your practice should be pretty similar. You do the same things every day so that you're building this habit into your life. Respond specifically with appropriate action. Sometimes you'll come away from your time in the Word with like, I am overflowing with thanksgiving. I will thank God today. So maybe it's thanksgiving. Maybe it's a deeper need for prayer or confession. Maybe it's repentance. Maybe it's seeking forgiveness from someone else. Maybe it's giving more generously and sacrificially. Maybe it's giving encouragement or providing comfort for someone in need. Maybe it's uh, serving. Maybe it's sharing more sacrificially. Maybe giving of yourself, spending yourself for someone else's benefit. These are all things that you may come away with from your time in Scripture. And then, lastly, make note of those, op those observations, those impulses, those promptings. Track your interactions. Track your prayers from that day. Sometimes we feel the conviction or we feel the impulse, but we don't write it down and we don't act on it. And we let it drift away. Write it down, capture it, and then act on it. Then make notes about how it went. Who was it? Uh, real quickly, there are some ancient meditation practices in the Christian faith that I would like to tell you about, but I don't have time to explain. Okay, I'm going to tell you about them, and then you can look them up and ex explore them and incorporate them as you'd like. One is called Lectio Divina, or Divine Reading. Uh, it is reading, read, think, pray, live. You read Scripture, you think about it, you pray about it, then you live it out. You make notes as you go. Lectio Divina. Something I've used for years, I've taught for years, and I think it's really a powerful way to engage Scripture. Secondly, Ignatian contemplation. Anyone ever heard of Ignatian contemplation? <laughs> it was popularized by St. Ignatius. You know, right? Okay, anyway, St. Ignatius. It's basically engaging all your senses and finding yourself in the story. Obviously, this is more of the narrative passages, but choosing a character in the story as you read it and kind of imagine what their perspective was. What are they hearing? What are they seeing? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? What's going on? Putting yourself in the house where the kid is raised back to life. What is that like? It's engaging your imagination and your senses. Just helps it become a richer, more vibrant experience in those narrative passages. So Lectio Divina, Ignatian Contemplation. Check it out. The life in Christ is about change and transformation. 
We desire to be changed, and God desires to change us. And He has given us the Bible as a primary catalyst for that change. I want to rejoice. I want to delight in my life with Christ, and I want that for you too. I want us all to delight and rejoice in our life with Christ. I don't want a mundane, domesticated, slow pony meandering faith anymore. I want to live according to God's Word. I want to go deep into His will. I want to discover His hope for me, for you, and for us. I want to live it out among the people I love. What if we were discovering that together and sharing the joy of that together? How wonderful would that be? I don't want to fumble through life. I don't want to be forever tangled up in sin and mediocrity. I don't want to always be held captive by my lack of discipline and all of the enemy's man traps in my life. I want the freedom and the joy and the richness that comes from discovering a wilder ride, a bucking faith, being fully alive in this life with Christ. That's what I want. And that, my friends, is exactly what God desires for us. Did you know that? You want it. Well, guess what? God wants it a thousand times more for you. Do you want to be a student of Scripture? Do you want to thrive in your life with Christ? Well, good news, it is possible, and it starts here with Scripture. It starts here with Scripture meditation. Do you want to hide God's Word in your heart and delight in His will? Do you want to be free from sin and be able to rejoice in the freedom that God gives you? Great! It starts here. Do you want to be changed? Do you want your church to grow? Do you want the world to be blessed? Well, good, great. It starts here. It starts here with Scripture, with Scripture meditation. So, giddy up, partner. I actually have that written here. Giddy up, partner. This is what I want to leave you with. Giddy up, partner. <laughs> a bucking faith awaits. A wilder ride in Jesus. It awaits you and me. So giddy up. <laughs> All right, let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the motivation. Thank you for the example that Jesus sets for us. Oh, so much is made available to us. So much beckons us. Such depth. Such wildness. Such adventure awaits. And it's been in front of us the whole time. It's in Scripture. And it's not just this rote practice. It's not just this uh, mechanistic understanding of what Christians ought to do. It's actually an invitation we're given to engage you, to dwell with you, to, to understand and to become more like Jesus. How great is that? God, I pray that you give us an appetite. Give us a desire and then give us discipline to put in place practices that help us become students of the Word, that we might know how to study but also meditate on Scripture so we, like the psalmist, might start to be able to live a life that pleases you, that we could hide your Word in our heart and then not sin against you, that we could learn to rejoice and delight in your Word, that it would be something that gives joy and excitement and clarity in our lives. God, I want that. I desire that. For too long, we've been meandering in a circle on a slow pony of, of ridiculous small faith. When your word is calling us into the, 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 the countryside of, of adventure, of, of a faith that is, feels like a bucking faith, a wild ride, God, make us daredevil students of your word. God, if there could be just one small 
motivation that, that kindles into flame in us, I pray that it would be that starting now, we would make time each day to sit with you, to be available to the Holy Spirit, that your word would creep into our hearts, our minds and our hearts, so we might become changed, transformed into the likeness of Jesus. God, that's our prayer. And I pray that for me. I pray that for my friends. I pray that for all those who call on the name of Jesus. And we make this prayer in his name. Amen. Hey, this morning we're going to share communion real quick as we finish up. So uh, Sam's going to come and help me move this table. But as we're doing that, uh, how do we prepare for sharing in the Lord's Supper? How do we prepare for communion? Well, first, we prepare our hearts. We say, God, search me and know me. Cleanse me. Lead me in the way everlasting here. I want to approach this table able to remember and to receive it rightly. Remembering the great sacrifice Jesus made for us and His body being broken and His blood being shed for the remission of our sins. His finished work of atonement on the cross is symbolized here. This is how we remember. I remember, Jesus, the price you paid for me. That I would be healed. That I would be resurrected. That I would be given new life through your sacrifice, through your life, your death, and your resurrection. So too, I have died to my old self and I am raised into new life because of you. Jesus, thank you. So prepare your hearts. Secondly, <coughs> know this. This is the table of remembrance. It is for all who can come and remember what Jesus has done for them. So if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. This could be your first time at Hope and Anchor Church. You may not consider this your church home. That's fine. Are you following Jesus? Then please share with us. So when you're ready, I'll ask you to come down the center aisle. Be served the cup and the bread and then return down the, down the exits over the wings. <laughs> I feel like a stewardess when I read this. But return to your seats down the sides. We'll gather together as family and friends and we'll partake together once everyone has been served. So come when you're ready.